Sunday is Power Easter Sunday. Last Sunday was pa Palmsdale Sunday. <laughs> Good lord! Uh, you'll be you'll be relieved to hear that we've been recording all of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, it was yesterday was Brabant's Spy Wednesday. Welcome back. The Segment News Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz. It is it's Thursday, April 14th. Actually, this is going to show up on a Friday. This is this is your Paris-Roubaix preview episode. And uh, maybe in honor of our, of our friends over at the Cycling Podcast, uh, where are we, Shadi? We are in Courtrecht in Belgium because obviously Paris-Roubaix is the most Belgium of the French <laughs> races. Uh, not all the teams stay around here. Before the big event, they generally head over that way on Friday night, get ready for the presentation on the Saturday. So yeah, we're staying in the quality Ibis, aren't we tonight? At least I hope. At least I hope you've booked the plenty of rooms for us. You're sharing with me, Shadi, actually. Lovely. Yeah, yeah. I have I have confirmed there are two beds in the room as opposed to just one. Well, that's disappointing. <laughs> me. <laughs> also with us here in this random restaurant in Cortric. Amy Jones, how are you? Hello. Welcome. Nice to be here. Ah, sure it is. <laughs> and Ronan. I didn't know who you were going to start with. There. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, Ronan and Johnny are sharing a mic, and so this is. I think it'll be. I think <laughs> sharing it'll be. a mic and sharing a room. Yeah. Best friends. And and we just spent a, a long period of time talking about Ronan's night terrors. Oh no! <laughs> oh. Spectacular! Yeah. Oh, oh, you I've know been, it as well. I've been in. I've shared the room with him several occasions now. It's spec is, it is just is spectacular. New. Yeah. Give us an impression. There's well, he, <laughs> the, the last time I think he showed up and started swearing at somebody who claimed he was in the road. We were in bed. <laughs> no, we weren't. We we were in separate. Uh, what yeah. did you say? What did you get do? The, one of them experiences. Did you just like knock him out and like carry on? No, I was like, it's all right, it's all right. And I pass him his care bear and we carry on. <laughs> so, Johnny, that thing I said earlier about you being safe because it doesn't happen anymore, clearly <laughs> I was full of crap because. <laughs> Johnny, I, are you okay? Unbeknownst to me, it still happens. <laughs> I wasn't worried when I learned about this, but then I got played an audio file, which maybe we clip in, maybe not if we want to keep <laughs> people listening. But once I heard the audio clip of what the night terrors sound like, is when I really started to worry. And any sort of other concern over what's going to happen this weekend just completely left, left my mind. <laughs> We do, however, want to talk about what will happen this weekend, right? I mean, we've got two races to preview. This is the preview show. Just to remind everybody, in case you missed Monday's show, we'll be doing a preview today. We'll be doing a post-race after Saturday's women's race and a post-race after Sunday's men's race. You get three Roubaix podcasts this very weekend. Now, Saturday, Saturday is the second women's Paris-Roubaix, uh, but as Abby pointed out the other day, it, it kind of almost feels like the first one because the first one was so unique and unusual, mostly because of the weather. Uh, really, really wet and nasty and slippery and muddy and terrible, and this weekend's going to be sunny, right? Sunny because it's always sunny in Belgium. It's always sunny Slash in Belgium. France, I guess it's France. Yeah, I think... Wasn't it like the first wet Roubaix since 2002 last year or something? Isn't that what they said? 2001. 2001. That was a long time ago. 
So yeah, I guess it's a little bit unknown again. You know, we were talking the other day about like all the history and the men's race and like, it's also like really unpredictable too, but there's re like no one really has any idea what, what could happen in the women's race or who, like it's almost impossible to predict who might win. So let's remind the listeners out there, uh, it is obviously not the same as the men's course. It's not the full 255 kilometers that they do. What, thank God. Thank. I mean, <laughs> genuinely, yeah. <laughs> what What is the women women's peloton facing on Saturday? What's the What's the route look like? Bloody hell! Well, we're being interrupted for food. Oh, we got burgers. You know, as as we often do on this podcast, um, we get started and then burgers show up. And is that a regular occurrence? We're gonna stop podcasting for a moment. We'll be back after we eat burgers. Good afternoon. What kind of news? And we're back. And Amy, some, you found us. You're from Scotland now. Yeah, I'm from Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> how are you doing? We, we do apologize to any Scottish listeners out there. I don't know. I have no idea how accurate that is because I'm American. I it can't, could be really I, bad, but I don't know. Like I've been told by actual Scottish people that it's quite accurate. So They might have said something else and you might not just understand. I'm guessing <laughs> they, they said something said, else. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> Wait, Abby just texted me saying, whoa, no Rusa. I am shocked. Does that mean she's not racing anymore? That that sounds like a breaking news on this podcast. That's the curse of the Ronald McLaughlin pick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, look. She's not on the lineup. She's not racing. She's out. Interesting. Interesting. Because well, she was kind of a, almost a bit of an outside favorite. I, I would say so. Let, let's let's get to that in a second. Let's Sorry, get to that in a second. I jumped the gun. I, I do want to just really briefly for our audience out there who maybe doesn't know what this race is going to look like, a very brief sort of route synopsis, if you would, Amy. A few laps of Danan, a few more than last year, which means that hopefully the live coverage of the race should start just as they hit the cobbles, which last year it started just after and the winning move had already gone. So that was a bit of a waste of time. Yeah, we were. I, I thought I had a video of that because we were standing right at the place where Lizzie Dynan went last year, like literally right at that, at that exact spot. And I can't find the video that I took because it would have been maybe the only video of the actual attack. I think it would. Yeah, you should yeah. probably try to find that. I should dig, uh, I should try to dig it out. I was, our social editor was deeply disappointed in my lack. I'm of deeply disappointed as well. I'm very sorry. No, it's alright. But that's great news. That's that means that yeah. I mean, from the from the first cobble, we get to watch live television on Saturday, which is great. Yeah. I mean, hopefully. I mean, not hopefully, but I mean, it's unlikely that the winning move will go from that point this year. <laughs> probably not again. No. Yeah. I mean, it, well. Let, We'll, we'll get into sort of the conditions and things uh, in a bit. Obviously, conditions quite different this year than in previous in previous years. Then last year, uh, the uh, the first edition of this race. <laughs> Where do they hit the cobbles? What is the what is sort of the the, the crux of this race look like? Well, I'll help you out here. Just, just to be really clear, we're Please. pulling up the map. We're looking at the Please map. Remember I'm people. a professional. <laughs> Please remember, people. We're in Belgium. It's our first get-together as a team in a long time. When you're at the race, it's infinitely more hard to actually pay attention to what's going on. Like, you're, instead of, when you're at home, and like, this is definitely, this is from personal experience, and I think it's actually true rather than just like mild ramblings, is that when you're at home, you have time to look on the internet, figure out everything. But when you're th right there, you've got way more on your mind to actually figure out than 
Because for most of the course, you're not even, you can't see them. They just arrive at the finish. Good diversion from the my beer excuse. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not as easy when we're at the race, but you do realise the races haven't started yet. Are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure I saw a guy on an e-bike cross the finish line in Rube Velodrome at about 12.30 today. I'm pretty sure I've seen that back in 2010. <laughs> oh... There's a reference for Ooh, everybody. What? That was in Flanders. Is that though, some huh? gossip? Is that too much? <laughs> I guess well. Anyway, we're going to leave that aside. We're going to leave that. Our lawyers suggest that we leave that topic where it Thanks, lies. Thanks, lawyers. Love you. <laughs> women's, <laughs> women's route. We've got... Thank you, Abby. Love you. Here's your preview. So... There is a, a spectacular preview up on segmentips.com yes. already. Abby put it together. Written by the myth, the legend. You've Abigail got all Mickey. of your, your route analysis, your contenders analysis, etc., etc. We're going to dive into a bit here, but if you want even more, head over there. The race is 124.7 kilometers long, with over 29 k's of pave, also known as cobbles. And the first sector comes with 82 k's to go, which I think. It's pretty much similar to last year where Lizzie Dignan just like said, see ya. Um, yeah, the, the first sector is Hornang, which is is the exact same first sector as last year. I remember because I stood right on the first line of cobblestones and was wondering which cobble would be the first cobble to be hit by a women's peloton. Uh, I don't know, actually. I was, which one was it? I, I can't tell you. You I, can't I, describe the cobble? We walked like 50 yards down the road and I have no idea. I mean, what it was did like, it look like? It was like near the middle. It was square. Relation to like Johnny's head, how big was it? It's about roughly the same size as Johnny's head. <laughs> <laughs> big guy, Johnny. Big guy. <laughs> not, anyway. not big enough that no one would dare say that to my face though which is a shame isn't it <laughs> anyway Hornang was, was the first sector last year it will be the first sector this year they skip the Arenberg which they also did last year Yeah. now the sort of explanation for that is that the way that they do the, the route they do a couple, a couple loops near the start and then they kind of head straight into the cobbles and the they could hit Arenberg if they wanted to I guess but it would be first, probably. Bit based, savage, that, innit? Yeah, based on where they start. And that's pretty savage. Mm. And so Hornang is, is, it's a difficult sector, but it actually starts quite mellow. And so like the first couple hundred meters are relatively smooth. It goes through a couple kind of S-turns, and those S-turns have a bunch of holes in them and dips in them and things like that. And that's actually where Lizzie ended up escaping last year. But the, the beginning is a little bit nicer of an entry into the cobbles. Now, the same thing happens in the men's race. The, the, the first couple men's sectors are not the Arenberg. They are other sectors that, that help to kind of spread out the race a little bit and, and separate the wheat from the chef, so to speak. Uh, and that needs to happen, frankly. Like, you, you can't just shove an entire peloton into the into the Arenberg first thing. So although it's kind of unfortunate that they miss out on that, it, it makes sense to me. So they start with the Hornang. Yeah, which is also the longest cobble sector of the whole race 3.7k's yeah and it really does serve to to remove a bunch of the riders who probably won't be factoring in the finish to put it sort of kindly no offense girls no offense uh, but if you get dropped on the first sector you're probably not winning the no. bike race uh, That's fair. It's a, but it's effective for that right like I said it's got a bunch of corners in it it's got a bunch of accelerations in it it's a difficult sector without being a dangerous sector and so I think it's actually it's a pretty good first yeah. one for yeah. any peloton to hit it's probably another reason why they've taken out or not not uh, not allowed them to ride that the savage Arenberg first off because it's you need 
breaking in, is that the right word? You need bedding in, you need... Because going into that straight away would just be, yeah, like say, savage and pretty much ruin the race straight away, I would have yeah, thought. Yeah, by that point, the men have done how far and how much? Yeah, be I mean, they've ridden like 150k of rolling pavement and then they've done at least seven sectors, I think it is. I, yeah. I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it's, it's right around there. I so think it would be cool to see the women do it at some point in the future, though, just because it is so iconic. Yeah, so I was looking at the at the route the other day and the map the other day, and it is de it's definitely possible. So like they could basically they do a number of start laps at the moment, and instead of doing start laps, which I understand the purpose of the start laps, the start lap is like you're trying to get the riders in front of the fans as many times as possible, right? That make that makes sense. But they could basically they could forego those. They could ride south a bit mm -hmm. because you know. The men's Prairie Bay, for example, starts in Compiègne, finishes in Roubaix. It is entirely a, a south to north route. It is, it is a straight line. So all you have to do is ride further south and you would get additional sectors and they can put a couple sectors ahead of of Arnberg. Like I think it's like Troisville is, is a couple beforehand. Like that would maybe be a good one to start with. So I think it is it is possible and maybe they will do so in the future because I, I would like to see the women's belt on tackle the Arnberg. I think it's it's... It's that iconic, and also. And let's be clear, they can do it. They could oh, do it. Oh, like, 100%. I don't think there's any question of that anymore. No, and and to be, I mean, to be honest, like Carrefour is rougher, right? Like like Carrefour, yeah. Carrefour is a, is a more difficult sector than the Arnberg, so it's not has nothing to do. What's with that difficulty. like in relation to Johnny's head? <laughs> Carrefour is like like a like a Johnny head and a half or so, I would say. Bloody I don't. Are we, what is, are we gonna say, tell this um, rating to Lakeep so they can replace? <laughs> system because that probably doesn't end that badly for me so they hit hornang they have how many how many sectors of cobblestones 18 18 sectors of cobblestones across a, roughly 100 kilometers or so i think 125 oh no like throughout si the, since they started the yes, yeah from 82 k's i guess 82 out all the way into the finish and like we said the television should start around 82 now yeah. let's get into contenders yeah. Now we we just saw right before our news just our, in. our burgers showed up. Breaking. Breaking news that uh, a pretty key rider. Uh, well, not a, not a top favorite, but like a key a key domestique, if yeah. not a potential outside favorite, is not going to be racing. Yeah, does Marlon Rusa. Marlon Rusa. Does that have any effect on the uh, on the on the makeup of of the sort of favorites group? It doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, she's obviously been like a pretty invaluable domestique for SD Works recently. And they haven't been as cohesive as a team as we've seen them be in the last few seasons. So, and she's been a kind of key, she's played a key role in, in keeping their shit together. Well, so like, uh, word. I mean, I, I, I get the, you're allowed to swear. It's all oh, good. excellent. <laughs> uh, we'll put a like explicit rating. Sorry to, if you're listening with children, we do apologize. Soz. The, the. One of the things that kind of struck me about SD Works this year so far is that they have won largely on the back of really impressive team performances and less so on the back of really impressive individual performances. Not that's not to say that they did, haven't had impressive individual performances, but in general, it seems to be more of a team effort. So losing a key domestique for that team in particular seems like a bigger blow than, for example, if Annemiek van Vluten loses a domestique in any other race like she doesn't really care mm. right it's a bigger deal for them right but the thing with sd works i guess too is that they've got so many good riders that one domestique the thing is marlon Marusa plays a bigger role than maybe some of the other domestiques but 
they have so many good riders that they can just sub in whomever and they will still do a really good job. So I think, actually I was looking this up earlier and every single rider from SD Works rode last year as well. So they have done this race before, they've got the experience of it. Lotte Kopecky, I assume, I think they're probably gonna go for like Lotte Kopecky and Chantal Vanderbrook Black. Christine Myrus is a cyclocross rider. She's really experienced. She's a completely selfless domestic. Um, they've got Elena Ciccini and Roxanne Fournier and Lonica Unikun, who also, all three of them also rode last year. It is definitely a loss for them to not have Rusa because she has played such a... I actually said the other day, and I got I got shit for this, but I said that she's kind of like the Ellen Van Dyke of SD Works, which sounds like I'm diminishing Marlon Rusa. But at the same time, like, it's almost a compliment to her. I, I was, I was going to say, I would, I, that's a compliment yeah. to me. Like, immediately, that's a compliment. I mean, Ellen Van Dyke is one of the, like, most legendary riders of this era. Right, exactly. Right? Like, that, that, yeah, to me, that's an immediate compliment. And they have very similar characteristics. Like, they're both time trialists. They're both excellent at either being in brakes and driving them or killing brakes. They have a huge amount of watts. Yes. Both of them. Yeah. And they just they just dole them out as they as they like to, basically. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, and this is a race where like having that pure power really helps. So yeah, it'll be basically it'll be interesting to see how they go without her. Move on to sort of the rest of the contenders here. If you had to Well, you know, we don't put money down because we're journalists with integrity. <laughs> I didn't mean to laugh then. <laughs> but if you had to, like, like, who are the sort of top three that we should be watching for Saturday? Because Lizzie Dynan's not there. Yeah. And so there's no defending champion. So this no. sort of second time in a row, we're having no defending champion. The first time because there was no previous race. And Did this time exist. because Lizzie Dynan is not there. So there's, you know, there's, there's nobody to, to, to toe the start line and know that they can do it. Right. Who, who are we looking at? Who are the sort of top names? Well, as I said on Slack earlier, the basic bitches <laughs> would be... Can I not say that? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Basic bitches also known as all of the men in the Slack. <laughs> basically, just chose no, boss. I think Abby chose her as well, to be fair. Okay. I love, that, I love that, words. That doesn't... Ex yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Basically, uh, we were asked to all choose winners of the women's race and the men's race. And a number of us chose Mariana Voss because obviously she's the goat and she's a very good bike rider and she has the technical ability and she has she's the sprinting ability and, and she, she's just a monster. She was second last year. It was and frankly, choosing anybody else feels insane Rubbish. to me. It was early in the morning, so if you get asked who's going to win a race at like before 9am, you're just going to be like, well, Voss, Too obviously. <laughs> obviously Voss. Yeah, all you guys could have come back to me and said that what? I chose Vanderpool, which is definitely the basic bitch answer for the men. But <laughs> What else would you be thinking about before 9 o'clock in the morning? Cold, cold pops. Had, you don't know the day I've had, Ronan. It's been, it started well before 9am and it certainly hasn't even finished yet. <laughs> anyway, we were all accused of uh, basic bitchdom. Yes. Uh, we really are going to have to put an explicit rating on this, this particular I'm so sorry. episode. I come on this podcast once and it gets. <laughs> I'm really sorry. We try to keep it PG, but we don't always succeed. Sorry, kids. Uh, anyway, it, it's the obvious answer. It's the very obvious answer. That's what you were referring to. So, yes. so what are the less obvious answers than Mariana Voss? So, I mean, going off last year's results, which again, like I said earlier, you can't really do. But so Elisa Longo-Borghini, who was third, has not been on the best form lately. She's been unwell. She's been battling some sort of like non-COVID yeah. cold situation. 
Um, like Lisa, half the men's peloton. Yeah. Yeah. Lisa Brenner, who was fourth last year, it, she has COVID, so she's not racing. So let me go down to like Marta Bastianelli is a good shout, but I don't think she's like, I wouldn't put her as like an outright favorite. Maybe I'm going to eat my words now, but I would say Chantal Vanderbrook Black or Lotte Capecchi for SD Works because Chantal has been riding. I mean, we all saw her in Flanders, right? Dragging Capecchi to the line. I mean, she her- could have ridden for herself that day, but she didn't. So I think she's looking really good and it's the kind of race that, that suits her really well. And her attack was really what what won that race. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So as questionable as it was at the time. <laughs> Just to go back to that. Who outside SU works? Like, Who outside SU works? Give me a couple works? names. I guess you have to look at defending champions track and Ellen van der... The thing is, though, is that Ellen van Dyke, like, she was a favorite and she... I mean, we don't know because she crashed last year, but she was saying like before the race, I mean, she could have been, I mean, she could have been bluffing, but I mean, still like, I don't know how confident she is in terms of like handling skills on the cobbles. Like she actually said herself that like, she really didn't like the recon last year. Like maybe she's improved on that since last year. But well, like, and it's dry. It is dry. Yeah. yeah. That is a difference. I just don't know. Like. Yeah, I mean, she's got the power. Like, she's obviously got good morale lately as well. Like, she's going for the hour record next month. Like, they have got Balsamo. I don't know. Balsamo also crashed last year, so it's hard to tell. Everyone bloody crashed. When she crashed, she wasn't that far. Was she in the chase? No, Van Dyke was in the. No, yeah, she was. No, I mean, Balsamo. Oh, Balsamo, yeah. No, she was also there. Yeah, 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 yeah. They were both right up there. So, Van Dyke crashed just as Voss went and. Um, Longo Borghini went with her mm-hmm. that was the move that was going just as Van Dyke and I think Maya Roos crashed I mean, someone else I can't remember it was so slick though I mean I, like it was a whole mess we, we were in a couple sectors last year and I mean it was all basically unrideable and and frankly like a big part of the reason why a lot of the riders crashed including I, I watched Balsamo crash right in front of me is because the cars got stuck or the motos got stuck right like things completely outside of the racers control you know if you're if you're barreling down a cobble sector on slick rocks and the motos stopped sideways in front of you and you touch the brakes you're going down right and that that's exactly what happened all over the place last year so i that's what makes this year so interesting to me is that it, it feels almost like the first one again because last year was so different the conditions were so different that we really have zero clue yeah. who is actually good at this and who isn't because a wet Roubaix is not the same as a dry Roubaix and also we want to kind of say like it's the type of rider that this race suits is still not determined either because like Corinne Lebecki said in a recent interview that she kind of thought this was like a, a type of race for powerful riders that she maybe wouldn't be able to compete with but having seen last year she was given that second thoughts and like to be fair she's someone to not write off like obviously Voss from that team is going to be the outright favorite but yeah I mean she's the type of rider who if it's if it's a group of 10 could be still Mm. be there and could absolutely win the thing right see also Lorena Weebers yeah don't write her off DSM have actually like can't believe I'm saying this but they've been riding really well as a team lately and is that unusual <laughs> it, on the women's side, it kind of is actually. They've been looking really strong. Five for Georgie is doing a, an amazing job for that team. So, Lorena Weebers, if 
<laughs> if she gets to the finish, like, I don't, yeah. Don't write her off is, is what I'd say about her. I 100% agree, but I do think as well that, you know, SD Works came into this race last year as, like, one of the favourites. And what did they come away with? 10th was, I think, their best result yeah, last year. And not I do ideal. think they're going to be out to sort of write what they see as a wrong last year where they where they really didn't feature. And that's part of the reason why I'd pick Rooster. I think beyond that, you, you probably have to look at Chantel Vandenbroek Black. But I also think Christine Majerus being a cyclocross rider, yeah. finishing just outside the top 10 last year. A, a, they had know, Chantal in 10th last year and Christine in 11th. Ronan, you actually, you did a pretty extensive look at essentially the, the success of breakaways at Paris-Roubaix, uh, among many other things. You did sort of a statistical analysis of how these things tend to end up. Now, obviously, we have a, an N equals one situation in the women's race, but the women's race is won from, from a pretty distinct breakaway from literally the very first sector last year. Now, this is something that we've seen in the men's race as well. It's it's, it's a race that works well for the day-long breakaway. Now, you, you crunch a bunch of numbers around like who, basically how many riders from the early break have ended up in the top 20 at Perry Bay. And the numbers are astronomical. They are significantly higher than any other race that we've looked at, right? Yeah, and I was just what I was pointing to in my laptop was the final sentence of that article which says we analyzed every edition of Paris-Roubaix Femme and interestingly the solar breakaway has a 100% success rate not just top 20s or top 10s but 100% the win so yeah that's an interesting statistic but like, uh, you know, like in the, which the, case though if, they, if that is the case which we know I mean look, we're basing top one edition yeah. they're never going to let like you know Mariana Vos go and do that this year but like I, w- I wonder if we end up seeing an early break so, so the thing that, the thing that sort of ties it together on the men's side is that the riders that tend to do that tend to be I don't want to call them second tier but they're they're not they're not the top favorites right they're the Matthew Hamans of the world where a, a Roubaix victory is amazing and by far the best victory of his entire career right there are lots of examples not quite like Matthew Heyman, that was, that was pretty spectacular. But there are lots of examples of riders who did a similar thing and ended up in 12th or ended up in 8th or something like that. That is a way higher place than they would have otherwise. I wonder if we start to see that in the women's race because they see the same thing. That like if you get in them, if you get in a move in those early laps, right around the start, is that a move that stays? I would like, like to say though here at this point that the way women's races like play out is very different to how men's races play out so a breakaway doesn't tend to kind of go and then stick in the same way it does in men's races so but it's like so in men's races it's doomed but the reason they do it is for tv right, right? But it and doesn't, in women's racing half the time there's no tv so they don't even but why why would you even bother even still the the breakaways still happen but then the peloton it's almost we've been talking about this a lot on freewheeling lately because it's actually a little bit frustrating sometimes to watch because a break will go with like a group of non-threatening riders in it but they will not give it any more than like a minute or so then they'll chase it down pull it in and another break will go and then everyone will kind of like people attack then they sit up there isn't there just isn't the same kind of structure i guess as men's where it's like that's the break i, I guess goes the break i guess my know? question though is like if, if i'm a director sitting there on friday night ahead of the race and I'm going, how do we win this thing if we're not Mariana Voss or we're not 
Ellen Van Dyke or we're not Chantal Vandenbroek Black. That's what I'm going to, right? It's like, screw it. Like, we've seen it happen in many, many, many editions of the men's race. We know that if, if our riders get a two-minute advantage going to that first cobble sector, it might be enough to hang on because of the nature of this race. I, I just, I wonder if that's something that we start to see. That, that article will be out by the time this comes out. And the key thing about Roubaix is the frequency at which the cobble sectors happen. So on average, you have a cobble sector every five kilometers, or you've only got five kilometers between them. Compared to like Flanders and other similar races, that is much shorter. And then the actual sectors themselves are much longer. So what you actually tend to see quite often in the men's race is that the, the breakaway doesn't even get that big a gap. But just because they're getting easier run into every sector and then they're getting a steadier pace across the, the sectors and they're just avoiding all the carnage behind, the breakaway has a much better chance of survival. Now, I'm not sure whether it happens this year because of what happened with Lizzie Dagnan last year and the kind of ambush that she played on the yeah. whole peloton. But that's why she that's why she was successful, right? But, but it's everyone's exactly going to be on like... High yeah. alert this year. Yeah. 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 So, but I would have thought everybody would have been on high alert last year, no matter what. It's the first race. I it's not a sort of race that you can... I just didn't know. Honestly, like, there's just this kind of... I just don't think anyone knew that what to expect or what was going to happen. I think the weather conditions definitely played a role in that too. Which would have been the exact reason why people surely would have been on high alert. You don't know what's going to go on, so you have to follow everything. Well, Leslie recently said on a on another podcast, I can't remember which one, that she heard that the actual radio message going around the SD Works team was that her attack was crazy at 80k to go and let her sit out there and, and burn herself out. So... Which in women's racing it yeah, would have been. Yeah, like a right. solo well, move this from is that far out. Exactly. <laughs> but that's that's the unique thing that, but that that's that's essentially what Ronan's sort of analysis has dug up, right? Which is something that we kind of knew I think as a like a gut check, but we didn't have the numbers around it, which is that yeah, it's it can be more efficient in a in a small group or solo than in a Peloton at, at Roubaix. And it's one of the only races in the entire calendar that's like that. So I just wonder how much I wonder how much the women's peloton is going to take that into account, and how much like women's directors are going to take that into account as they as they build tactics. Because it is definitely no question harder to pull that off in a shorter race, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I, there's something to it, right? Like you, you get a bit of a gap, and it's just it's just so hard to pull it back. It's so hard. I don't know. It's like you said, though. It's really difficult to say because Roubaix is just such an outlier when it comes to these things. So, like. Just, but having watched like all the races so far this season, the peloton are just never willing to let anything go too far out for too long. And I just, and now, especially after last breakaway. year, <laughs> let's forget the Olympics. <laughs> I just, I can't, I can't see like after last year as well. I just can't. I can see everybody just being yeah, like really on high alert for like anything going early on. They'll get chased down immediately if they can and I think like I said like last year I think the weather played a big role in Lizzie being able to make that move and make it stick because everybody else behind her was just slipping and sliding and trying to like stay on their bike and there was not a lot of team tactics going on because not many teams had many riders in that front group to do anything really so I'd be surprised if that happens again I think but it's just, anything can happen it's just optimism on my part I, I, li- <laughs> I like I like the idea of wild wacky stuff like that happening anyway do we talk about weather because we've just mentioned yeah let's do a, let's do a brief a brief 
weather update. Uh, we do have our eye on the sky. No, Johnny Long. <laughs> our eye on the sky, Johnny Long. <laughs> I've just literally looked around the table. I'm Johnny the cowboy. <laughs> Weird fact about me, I'm always primed for an impromptu weather report. Um, <laughs> today I got to the, the Roubaix uh, Velodrome early. I've caught the sun today and the weather <laughs> in this part of like Northern Europe, it doesn't change that quickly necessarily this time of the year. And I did actually check before I came out for what my housemates described as a holiday. Uh, and <laughs> it is sunny all weekend. There is minimal chance of any sort of weather impaired. Yeah, racing. it's like, like 18 degrees, sunny. So when you come back with a tan, how are you going to explain that to your housemates? <laughs> Working almost too hard. <laughs> <laughs> is that wind? Wind's not really going to be a factor at all. It's like 14 kilometer an hour winds. Yeah. I've spoke to the DS of Total Energies today, and he said for the men's race, it's, it, it, he can foresee a ridiculously fast race. Yeah, it looks like possibly even a bit of a tailwind. Which, slight, very yeah, slight. Which, which little bit, which does tend to work in a breakaway's favor. Uh, but yeah, very, very slight. Good weather, minimal wind. It's just going to be dusty. I mean, it, it hasn't rained for a little while. It's, it's just, it only takes a couple days for it to dry out, and, and all of a sudden it's a dust bowl. That's all sort of, it's not rained recently but there's still wet stuff there's a lot still water on the cobbles in sectors so it's, it, it will catch riders out it's it, driving the course today it looks like it's there's enough there that it's not going to dry out for sunday so there's going to be places that will yes yeah, surprise riders they'll come around the corner and there'll be a big puddle or loads of mud that's ready. almost better because if there is a chance to rain then the only build up we hear the week before is is it going to rain is it not going to rain it's almost better that the weather's just oh, fine yeah, that was and then so boring, there actually. are just wet cobbles it's like it's so dull isn't it it's like it becomes <laughs> it gets talked about so much that you actually don't want the thing to happen that you did previously want to happen so it's actually better that the cobbles are wet already in places <laughs> yeah well and what tends to happen is like there'll be puddles on the side of the of the cobbles and the it'll be totally dry and then a bunch of cars will go through and yeah. splash the cobbles it's not and get them all wet, which is actually exactly what happened in a couple of the sectors of the women's race last year. All I will say is all eyes on the quick step car on Sunday after Wednesday. That's that's the hot seat for him. <laughs> is, is that director even allowed back in the bike race? Who was driving that car? Yeah. I mean, you crashed the world champion. Do you ride another team car ever? Uh... Am I more likely to get the keys for Sunday? <laughs> We'll make oh, inquiries. That would be so fun. For that anybody who fun. for anybody who missed this, uh, Brabant's appeal was on Wednesday, uh, won by young American phenom Magnus Sheffield, which is super cool. We're going to try to catch up with him. But also one of the other highlight highlights, one of the other lowlights of the day, yeah. one of the other stories out of the day was the fact that uh, the quick step car hit one of its was it hit its, its own, own rider. rider and then kind of ran into Alaphilippe yeah. and then uh, anyway it was it, it was, was also their own rider it, it was, was a mess bad. it was a big mess it was I, like it was it was one of the dumbest things i've seen driving and they say women are bad drivers <laughs> believe it or not none I, of us say that i i, I, I quiz i quiz the ds who uh, was driving us on the recon today whether they actually need to take an extra driving lesson to get behind the wheel in a race and he said no, which is a massive surprise to, to me. Out of thought. What? I thought they had to do courses. Believe it or they not, have, no. They have, they have to like pass a UCI like written course. And driving is not part of that. Well, I mean. Maybe like, not in Belgium. Like, yes. Okay. Well, I, the problem is like it's an error of judgment, right? Like it's not an error of 
positioning, yeah. like like being able to drive the car, the, the gap was too small. And so it was, it was an error of like... That's knowing how big your car like is. Like you don't, you don't, well, and it was just like the wrong timing, right? Like maybe don't pass through the start finish area where the barriers come in, right? It's like happened it was, before though, no? Didn't the bike exchange car do that to someone a few uh, years ago? A couple of years ago at Flanders, Shimano cars hit like four different guys. Oh, that was spectacular. Yeah. Their, yeah. their car looked like bumper car. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was awful. Anyway, we're get, we're getting a little bit sidetracked here. Yeah. Let's move on. Let's move on to the men's race. <laughs> so, the route is uh, literally the same <laughs> as it has been for a very very long time. I will mention a, a couple sort of small updates here. The biggest of which it's actually not really like sort of a, a, a you know a change in in sector or anything like that. It's the fact that so Lakeep goes through every year and they drive the whole course and they rate every single sector on difficulty based on johnny's head based on johnny's head they're like this is one johnny's head or five johnny's heads and five is a lot of johnny's heads <laughs> so and it's sorry. really so like carrefour and Arenberg, that's four johnny's and like Troisville is like two johnny's three johnny's something like that anyway i can invoice for my therapist <laughs> How it's just because you sat opposite me. Don't take offense. Not- <laughs> you look like a cobble. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what you were going to say? <laughs> my point being, my point being that Lekeep went through, they drove through this whole course, and they downgraded a number of the sectors by one or two Johnnies slash stars. Uh which means that basically the course is... Because of the weather, no? Because of the weather, yeah. The course is very slightly easier than it has been previously. Easier is relative, right? I mean, it's going to be very dusty. It's still bumpy. So it's not easy. But it is going to be a less heinous race than, than last year, for example, which was the first wet race that we saw since 2001, I believe. It is going to be dry. It's going to be, as a result sort of well more like the other what 17 races that we've had since then 18 races 19 races what year is it 20 races 20 races since 2001 it'll be more like those is this the time for my winners versus additions fact you what oh yes oh yeah the route is the same uh we're we're not going to go through it y'all know it Arnberg at 100k to go. Yeah, I'll know it. Y'all, I gotta throw some American in here if you're gonna throw Scottish in at me. <laughs> I'm not even Scottish. <laughs> you know the route, all right? 100k to go, Arnberg. That's when things kick off. That's when you're gonna want to turn on your television for sure. And then obviously, you know, Wallers, Hornang, all the way through to car four to the finish line. So none of that has changed. I, we don't need to run through it. Let's go straight to contenders for this year now unusually ronan you were just spouting facts earlier spout me some facts about the winner winners of paris yeah i stumbled upon this earlier this week that there's actually more winners of paris than there are additions of paris and it's kind How? of a what <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's as bizarre as it sounds. It's actually more bizarre than it sounds because in 1949, uh, Andre Mahe and George Martin were in the lead of Paris Bay coming into the velodrome. They had a substantial advantage, no chance of getting caught until a gendarme sent them the wrong way around the velodrome and they ended up on the far side of the velodrome where the finish line is now. But the entrance, of course, is on the opposite side of the velodrome. So in the panic, someone diverted them up a set of steps through the press room 
down through the, the grandstand and onto the track to start their lap and sprint for the line. And in that sprint, Andre Mahe won the sprint, won Paru Bay initially until Copy crossed the line. Now, not the famous Copy, but his brother Circe Copy crossed the line in third place and heard about what happened with the two riders in front, lodged a protest, a successful protest, which got the two riders in front relegated or disqualified from the race for taking a deviation from the route. And Circe Copy was awarded the win until the next day, Equipe went crazy at the outcome of the French rider being what they seen robbed of the race victory. And what ensued was basically, long story short, six month battle, legal battle, political battle, UCI battle. There was battles everywhere. Before the UCI, whatever the UCI, whatever no, the UCI, the UCI was, was involved. Then. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the UCI. They could be Probably wrong. It would have been the. They would have turned a, up something like that. I mean, same I organization, different name. In the yeah. end of what, what many think happened is that um, Fausto Copy put that much pressure on by suggesting he would boycott the Tour de France, boycott the next Paris-Roubaix, uh, that the UCA couldn't really back down on some promise they had made that seriously Copy would be given the victory, but also they couldn't not give the French guy the victory, so they declared both winners. So the question is, did they split the cobble in half? <laughs> That's a fantastic story. Yeah, I'm not sure about the cobble and the splitting in half. That's amazing. Uh, I know Andre seriously copy actually died in a in a, a crash not too long after that, within a decade after that. But Andre Mahi lived until I think the early 2000s, and yeah, he never quite got over it or never quite let it go. He was third in Roubaix again. I think he might have been fourth in Roubaix again as well, but. He always thought he had fairly won Paru Bay because he was deviated the wrong direction. Uh, but the record books don't show that he was the only one. It's it's a, it's an amazing story, but it's also a little bit sad because neither rider were grand champions. It would have been the biggest result of their careers, but it was kind of spoiled for both of them. I mean, to be fair, they were in front, so he should have he got the win. Uh, yeah. Rules are rules. He did deviate right. from the course. <laughs> All right, Lopatian. <laughs> so there are more winners of Paris-Roubaix than editions of Paris-Roubaix. Let's get into who might win on Sunday. Now, tricky, tricky to pick. There's some um, tricky, tricky to hear. <laughs> Sorry, with these I can't tell how loud I'm talking. Just shout, mate. Tricky to pick. We've got some illness. We've got Waffenert rejoining after maybe not being in the race. He is going to be in the race, but he says he's not going to work for himself. He says he's going to ride for somebody else. Rubbish. Not sure, not sure I believe that. I talked to Tom Bonin at Sea Otter. He picked Waffenert. Uh, what's he know? What does he, he ever do? What does he know? There's only one piece of rubbish that Jumbo Visma released this week, and that is a Tour de France jersey. <laughs> there is no way that Wout van Aert lines up at Paris-Roubaix to ride for all due respect to Nathan van Hooydonk. He doesn't ride for Nathan van Hooydonk. How long have you been waiting to drop up. that line for about the jersey? <laughs> all the time that my head was being compared to a problem. Um, there is no chance that Wout van Aert doesn't line up with even like a, in the back of his mind maybe getting into a move maybe like hanging on at the end 
And it's the same with Matthew van der Poel. Like, he's not... This, we'll let Ronan talk about the actual racing and what it, what that entails. But Matthew van der Poel is coming up to this week. He's not doing any media. He is keeping as locked down as Wout van Aert in sunnier climbs far south of Belgium. There is no chance that neither of them are not in the business end and providing ASO with the sort of dream TV ticket that Christian Prudhomme and everyone else is thinking of. I mean, we we said this before, but Vanderpool, based off of his sort of run into this event, to, to run into Roubaix, it certainly suggests that he'd be coming on top form right now, right? Like, he shows up at MSR, hasn't raced yet that year. Like, <laughs> is still incredible, obviously. Races very, very well at Flanders, comes in second, is one of the strongest races, riders in the race. Thank you. Two weeks later, remember two weeks later, not just one week later, because we did stick Amstel in the middle because of the French elections. Two weeks later, he's got to be... He won Flanders, no? Yes. He won, <laughs> he won Flanders. Did I just say he came in second in Flanders? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He won Flanders. I don't know where my brain went there for a second. I was thinking, not me correcting someone about men's cycles. <laughs> yeah, did. did I really just say that? <laughs> yeah, sorry. This is the editor right, in well, chief. We'll just... You've been up for so long, it's like, Are it's you like all right? 10 a.m. Your yeah, you're jet lagged. Yeah, yeah, in my defense, I have been up for a very long time. Vanderpool uh, <laughs> won Flanders, obviously in fantastic form. He can only be faster two weeks later, right? Like his, his season started late. Everything we know about sports science suggests that he is faster this weekend than he was when he won Flanders. To, to me, that makes him the number one favorite. Except for the fact that Roubaix is crazy. And Roubaix is, is full of weird luck and, and all sorts of wild stuff that is it's, it makes it even more difficult to predict than a Tour of Flanders, which is more often than not won by one of the strongest riders in the race. Even if you could argue that Vanderpool was the second strongest in two weeks ago edition. I think so. I, I think the only thing that counts for him is that in this race, it doesn't matter if you're the marked man or the outright favorite. If you can keep up and if you're just at the front and just ride off, it doesn't matter about tactics or anything like that. You've, If Vanderpool is in form and decides to, like, decides to win the race, then he will win the, win the race. That's like, it's kind of what happened at Flanders, but to a more extreme. Yeah, and, and well, and Pogacar's not here <laughs> this weekend, so that that's helpful. I mean, it, yeah, if he decides to go on Carrefour, there's not a whole lot anybody can do. I mean, we, we can think back to, to numerous editions over the years where the strongest rider has literally just waited for everybody else to, to start to falter. They put the hammer down, and they are gone, right? That 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 is often how Roubaix has won. But the other way that Roubaix has won is exactly what we were talking about earlier with the women's race or what Ronan was talking about with the, with the breakaways or with Matthew Heyman. Like, there's, there are enough sort of weird things that happen in Roubaix because the rules change in Roubaix because there's, there is no real chase effort in Roubaix. Like, once you hit the cobblestones, it's essentially like an ITT for almost everybody on the field. That really changes the dynamic and, and essentially opens the race up to a lot more, well, a lot more potential winners. So other than Vanderpool... Who do we got? Stefan Kung? He's kind of my... He's my pick. Yeah. He's my... You look at the, how he's rolled the past couple of weeks, and it's... He's, he's on the form of his life, like, easily on the form of his life. And the team's been performing really well this year as well. And I'm not just saying this because I live in France. 
the difficulty though, as I see it for Kung, is that he's he's always in the selection, but he's trying to like force himself out of the selection, and he's not Vanderpool, he's not Wout Van Aert, he's not that level, and uh, uh, you know I agree that he could potentially win Roubaix, but I think he needs to really change the approach he's taking. You know, he took the same approach in Amstel last week, and it's really not, you know, he's made that step into the upper echelon, but he's not really transferring that into big big wins. And does he just need patience? But I Does see. Does he just need to wait longer? I think I see him as like a Heyman type rider. Like, Matt, like, do you, do you see where I'm coming from there? Is that sort of build? That sort of. Is it? But no one will let him go. Is the difference? Yeah. Yeah, right? I suppose. Like, so, no one's yeah. going to give him ten minutes or whatever Heyman got at the at, its, at, at the peak. With Kung as well, it's like he's obviously talented, but like even in the time trials, like he like the tour last year, he was so shocked when like Pog beat him. Like he's one of those riders where he kind of like exists in a microcosm of his abilities and is then shocked about things that happen. And if you're doing that at Roubaix. You know, so, so who else? What, what are the other, what are the names we should be looking at here? We've Vanderpol. It's Stephen easy to Kuhn. pick from Flanders, but if you're talking about riders who are going to clip off the front and be allowed to go in Flanders, you had Fred Wright and Dylan Van Baal. You have riders of those nature who are hard buggers who can just like ride off the front. They can, they got grit. Guys like those won't get caught in the same way that they were caught in Flanders by Vanderpol and Pog. Two of those guys could easily make it to the final and then sprint out in the velodrome. Moscon? I don't think Moscon's on the level this year, is he? Yeah, hasn't he hasn't showed anything doesn't all seem spring. To be. I mean, he was incredible at Roubaix last year, and then, uh, I don't know, the collective will of... Somebody put 120 Fair PSA point. in his rear tire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're not getting paid to race, it's probably pretty hard to motivate oh. yourself. With, uh, <laughs> also true. Yeah, Astana's uh, not currently paying people. Sorry. We think. We think, allegedly. allegedly. Quick step, well, for what I was going to say, first of all, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and could be proved wrong, but I think Yumbo have peaked too soon. Is that an overused term? I don't see Laporte really uh, doing it this weekend, and Van Aert with his health issues, it's hard to see him coming around. But quick step, with the spring that they've had so far, you know, the pretty much disaster that they had at Roubaix last October, I think they're going to be very much like SD Works where they're out to really sort of rescue their spring uh, and sort of take back what they see as their crown, the Roubaix cobble. Uh, and I think Eve Lampard, at the finish line in October, he was bitterly, bitterly disappointed. He had focused on Roubaix for the whole season, you know, had suffered multiple punctures or whatever took him out of the race last season or last year. they ran clinchers. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so that was their own fault. <laughs> yes, he suffered multiple punctures, but still ended up, I think, fourth on the day. And I know he hasn't had the best spring so far this year, but he's been willing to sacrifice E3. He's been willing to sacrifice all the races, I think, to come into Roubaix in his best possible form. Also, it, in the press conference today, Patrick Lefebvre looked them all in the eyes and said, no more excuses. And if you need any more motivation than that, then I, I need to hear about it. I'm scared and I'm not even on the team. <laughs> I would love an Eve Lempar win. I mean, that, that's, a, that's, yeah. a, that's an underdog right there. But I mean, he's, he's, he's been such a dedicated domestique for that team for so long. It would be well-deserved, I think. My, my issue with that team right now is that the way that Quickstem tends to win whether it's with their big rider or not, is with that big rider involved, right? Whether it's Tom Boonen winning or, or Nikki Terpstra, the fact that Tom Boonen is in the race is the reason why Nikki Terpstra wins the race, right? Like, it, it, that's how they do this. And they don't have that rider right now. Like, they don't have, they don't have Vanderpool, they don't have Wapanert. And, so, and, and they've had that rider 
for a very long time and it really messes with their ability to 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 play those team tactics they don't have that top rider but you can also play the numbers game with i'm, I'm going to say lesser riders but i don't mean lesser riders like they've got casper asgreen who is without it's pretty good without any bad luck he is going to be there with those big big riders and you know if there's a situation where lampard has found himself up the road those big riders aren't going to want to tow asgreen <laughs> through every sector until they catch Lampard only to be counter-attacked from there so they probably they don't they certainly don't have the team that they've had in the past but I reckon they have the riders that they could still play a numbers game Dark Horses well do you want to know the statistically proven <laughs> Dark Horses yeah based off this crazy story you wrote who's going to win who's going to win the bike race right? you're going to need to give me five minutes here to sort through all the spreadsheets to find the one that's got the answer well Ronan does that I never gave any Dark Horses from the women actually alright let's hear it we never went for any let's hear it well I think look no further than Valkar for that one I would say Ooh. and I would Why? say either, well because they always they've, they've been outperforming World Tour teams and they pretty much have been for the last few seasons. And I think Silvia Persico, she came third at the Cross Worlds. She's the Italian national cyclocross champion, which, I mean, I don't know how much that stands for. But either way, she's a very good cross rider. She's been performing really well this year. And I think if she can, as we talked about, get in a little sneaky breakaway, she's not to be written off. Nor is Chiara Consoni from the same team. So those are two. Uh, I put myself on the spot here because I only had those in mind. I think I... two two is a pretty good list of dark horses. All right. Same yeah. team though. Am I yeah, being... it counts. I was going to, I feel like I'm putting too much pressure on this one, but um, last year, um, Marjolene Van Gelof, I cannot pronounce the name, she, co- she goes by Mayo from Nicole Wahoo. She actually, she came 13th, um, which for a rider from that team is super yeah. impressive. Huge. Um, and if she can get anywhere near that this year as well, that's incredible. So she's maybe one to look out for as a bit of a dark horse. Is um, Baxter in the race? Yeah. Maybe. Hang on a minute. No, I don't think she is actually. Betray- yeah, no. still pretty young. Anyway, she's going to win it at some point. <laughs> I mean, her dad monster. did it. So, yeah, no, she's not. She's not. Absolute monster. Yeah. That's that's a pretty good list of dark horses there. Nobody else got any for the women. No. Well, my two Marianne picks were dark horses, Rooster and... Uh, yeah, Rooster's a very dark horse, considering she's not even on the start line. <laughs> she was well, on I the start line whenever I... told me not to tell I... you that, because she was your pick, and then she was going to tell you off not reading the preview. And now she's going to tell me off for telling you that. I already picked her. For the men's Mahorich. As yeah. a dark horse. Just a, just a wily guy who just wins bike races by yeah. hook or by crook. Yeah, he's just a, just a sneaky, sneaky, sneaky strong bike racer strong enough to win and not enough of an out and out favorite to just be marked every yeah. single time maybe but i but i don't think he's sort of anonymous enough to end up in like that day-long breakaway right no. so that's hard he he is not 30 years old he is not one meter one meter 85 <laughs> centimeters tall he is not 75 kilos he hasn't started five rubies finished four rubies won six pro races and ranked 400th in the pro cycling stats rankings so he cannot win by <laughs> well can, can you explain where all those numbers just came from you're gonna to have to read the full article to get the it's not that long an article it's quite digestible but there is it's, it's very much like a money ball kind of thing the, the the dark horses and these these guys there's there's a semi-long list of riders who could get on base for Paris Bay uh, but there's only two riders 
who pretty much meet all of those uh, stats. And and those stats come from your analysis of, of breakaway riders in Roubaix and success over the last like 20 years. Right? It comes from an analysis of the 206 riders that have been in the breakaway and across the last 16 editions of Paris-Roubaix and the 23 cobbled sectors in the final 156 kilometers. All right. Um, and the two riders, maybe I should just keep it as a bit of a mystery where you have to go on to the... No, tell him, because I, I, I spoke to one of the DSs today and he had a good chuckle at it, but he was like, yeah, bloody hope so. So go on, tell us who one of them is. Well, the... The exact, the exact metrics that I called out there, I relaxed them a little bit. I added like plus or minus a year to the age, plus or minus five kilos to the weight. Things that just kept it, you know, I don't think five participations is probably the minimum you can have, but you can't have a maximum number. You can't have too much experience in Roubaix, I don't think. So I said you minimum five, but any amount of experience. And then the only two riders that ticked every box was one, Henrik Häusler. He's Whoa. my pick every year. And yeah. he's like seventh every year. So it's not actually not a bad pick. Yeah, and Heyman <laughs> was not first every year until yeah. he won it. So <laughs> it can't happen. And the other one is Massey Bodnar. And that's the DSI spoke to him today. He had a good chuckle. He was like, that would be awesome. When I told him about the statistics, he was like, someone knows this stuff. So that's <laughs> off to you there, Ronan. Is this what happens when you break your leg? <laughs> I did, it, it's what happens when you break your leg and you've got a um, friend of the friend of the Cycling Tips tech team, uh, Dave Bailey. He's a performance analysis for World Tour teams. It, two of us were just having a bit of a natter as we usually do. And yeah, we eventually uh, recognized how successful the breakaway is usually. And then the fact that I had a broken leg and didn't really have much else to do. <laughs> I was able to spend, you know, copious amounts of time just <laughs> trawling through all the old race reports uh, yeah, and it's uh, quite proud of it. In in this Moneyball analogy, are you framing yourself as the Brad Pitt type? Is that is that what this is all leading to? Who the answer to that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. It's too long since I've seen Moneyball, so all I know is that the underdogs got on base, and that's all I based us on. <laughs> that's a good analogy for Paris Bay, maybe. The underdogs get on base. It's a great analogy for Perry Bay. Especially for an American audience. Yep. We're a baseball <laughs> podcast now. <laughs> I think that that's where we're going to cut it off. That's it from us. We're going to be back in like two days. We're going to be back Saturday evening. You lucky things. You lucky things. After the women's Perry Bay, the second women's Perry Bay. And then again, Sunday evening. We're going to try to turn these around as quickly as possible. So you should have them... Hopefully a couple hours after the stage finishes. Stage. It's not a stage. I'm talking like it's a Tour de France. After the race finishes. This should be in your podcast app. Fingers crossed. So, thank you for listening to the preview episode. We'll be back on Saturday. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.